know, wrapping up our New Year's series, The Power of Habits, this morning. And before we dive in, I want to mention a couple of things uh, to you that are happening today, some really exciting stuff going on around here. Uh, we are this afternoon going to be having another Southwinds Serves uh, afternoon where we get together and uh, we are continuing our project of painting city benches here in the city of Tracy. Uh, we've gotten 19 done so far and 25 are scheduled today. That'll put us over a third of the way uh, today. And uh, if you would like to join us, there's still time for you to slot in with some of our groups. Uh, so feel free to stop by uh, out on the courtyard. We'd love to have you be part of this as we continue uh, to try to bless uh, the community in which we live because we believe, as you've heard me say, good deeds lead to goodwill. And that opens doors for the good news. And so that's what we want to see happen. And then uh, next Saturday, if you haven't heard, if you've forgotten, uh, if you've just slipped your mind, we're going to be having uh, a very, very special seminar called A Lifelong Love. Uh, we are hosting uh, internationally best-selling author Gary Thomas. This is going to be a life-changing seminar uh, for living out a spiritually inten uh, intentional marriage relationship. And if you don't know this, um, Gary Thomas has written a book called Sacred Marriage. It is actually, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, one of the most spiritually significant books on marriage in the last 20 years. It recently passed the one million mark uh, in sales. Uh, this is uh, fairly unprecedented uh, for, for books like this. It doesn't happen very often. And he is going to be right here. And some of you are thinking, oh, well, I got stuff to do. I'm telling you today, you don't have stuff more important to do. And it would be worth your while to carve out time for this. Don't let uh, other things push out the benefit that God uh, has for you. I'm just encouraging you, please, as your pastor, invest this time. Make it a priority. I believe God will use this day uh, to make a difference uh, in your marriage. Take it to a new level. Well, today uh, we are uh, going to talk about uh, habits one more time. And we're going to be looking at some tools that help us build into our lives uh, the habits that we've been studying the past few weeks. We're going to be talking about making and breaking habits. How do we make good habits? How do we break bad habits? And you've heard me say a couple of times in this series that Galatians 6, 7 through 9 is a key passage for this series. It's really one of the most important passages in all the Bible on habits. And this is what it says. Paul is writing. He says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now we're going to be taking a look at some practical principles to uh, build what we've just read here into our lives. How do we make good habits? How do we break bad habits in our lives? And uh, I want to look at this passage just very briefly for a moment to remind us why habits matter. And habits matter because they lead, they lead to either life or destruction. Uh, they really are far more significant than we often think in the moment. I want to give you real quickly four principles of harvest that come from this passage. And this is really about, about habits. Uh, and here they are. First one is you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. 
And Paul says this is just a law of life. A man reaps what he sows. It is just the way that God created his universe. And this is a principle that tells us that the actions we take always have consequences, either for good or for bad. So what we plant or sow determines what we harvest or reap. Now, sometimes I think some of us are feeling like oh, this principle doesn't always work. Maybe you're thinking right now, wait a minute, I don't know that this is really working for me because I feel like I'm planting good things and I don't really think I'm seeing all the good things that this seems to be promising me. Or maybe at the same time you find yourself thinking, well, I have this friend works with me in Silicon Valley and he is not sowing good seed. <laughs> He is not living any way like what the Bible says he should. He just lives the way he wants. He just does whatever he wants. And he's got this great life. Well, you need to know the second principle because the second principle of harvest is you reap later than you sow. See, God doesn't say when the harvest will come in. You know, I was just thinking uh, all around us these last few years, you've probably noticed, right, how they've been uh, planting uh, almond orchards right and left everywhere all around us field after field is getting turned over to to almond trees and I, I looked this up do you know how long it takes uh, before a tree an almond tree is planted really starts producing nuts it, it takes about five years and, and some species take as long as 12 years uh, to reach full nut producing capacity and by the way over in our kid building it takes 12 minutes to reach full nut producing capacity. I was <laughs> thinking about that. But <laughs> some of you have been there, right? You know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, sometimes in God's providence, in God's mercy, he doesn't bring about the harvest until much later. And <laughs> that may be good news or bad news for us, depending on what's going on. But, but again, don't just think that just because you haven't seen the harvest yet, that it isn't. You reap later than you sow. And also you reap more than you sow. Uh, again, those almond orchards are in bloom all around us right now. And think about this. No almond farmer would plant an almond tree and wait five years to get one almond. Right? <laughs> the harvests are always more. And it's like that with habits. The, the harvest your habits bring in, is al it's always going to be more than you think, whether it's good or, or whether it's bad. And that's why they're so very, very important. And then finally, you reap if you sow. You reap if you sow. You, you never see a harvest if you don't plant. You, you'll never know the fruit of a habit if you don't practice it and if you don't keep on practicing that habit so paul is saying in these verses do not become weary in doing good he says you will reap a harvest at the proper time if you do not give up so so these these principles of harvest they're really principles of habit and every christ follower needs to remember them and and live by them as we are making and and breaking habits and you know all through this series we've been talking about how we can do this how we can make good healthy habits how we can break those habits that keep us from christ and, and by way of reminder i want to real quickly also give you some principles on making good habits maybe you remember the habits loop we talked about a few weeks ago that has a cue uh, that thing that triggers us to practice the habit and then there's the routine which is when we we actually do the habit and then there's the reward that we get which reinforces the habit and and we've said before, to make good habits, we need to leverage this uh, habits loop. And 
I want to give you uh, three practices you can build into your life uh, that will help you with good habits. The first one is this, we can make it obvious. And let's just say, as we've talked about, you want to read your Bible on a daily basis. And and let's just say, you know, you're not a morning person and you want to read it at night. So here's one way you can help make this habit happen. You know, you want to read your Bible at night before you go to bed. So when you leave in the morning, you put your Bible on that pillow. In other words, you're not going to forget it. It's going to be right there. You make the, the practice of that habit obvious. You can't miss it. And then second, we need to make it easy. You see, as we build the habit into our lives, we don't need to make it too difficult or try to do too much. In terms of reading our Bible, I've talked about this. Uh, maybe you just read one chapter a day. Or maybe that's more than you really are going to handle at the start. So maybe it's just one paragraph. And maybe even that's too much. Maybe it's just one verse. But whatever you need to do to make it easy, to get that habit into your life, to secure it there and keep it there, make sure that you can accomplish it and get it going in your life. And then finally, we make it satisfying we just enjoy the reward. We thank God. We, we enjoy his pleasure whenever we spend time with him in his word. Now, I gave this to you pretty quickly because I'm going today to spend the bulk of our time on something that a number of you have asked me about, and it is breaking bad habits. I want us to think about this because I think a lot of times we find that our bad habits get in the way of our good habits. They keep us from going from the bad to the good, from growing more like Christ. And I would like to give us some real practical handles on making this happen. Uh, one of the books that I have been reading on habits for insights on building habits into our lives is the best-selling book called Atomic Habits uh, by James Clear. And he makes a very insightful observation that almost everyone has similar goals. You know, if I, it's like if I could talk to each one of you today and ask you, what do you want to do with your life? I'm pretty sure that the goals you tell me would end up being mostly, mostly the same. You want to have good health, right? You want to have good relationships, right? Uh, you know, you want to experience financial freedom. You, you want to have work that you do with your life that has, has meaning and has purpose. You want to accomplish something with your life. I mean, everybody wants to do these things. And then as Christians, you want to be close to God. Amen? Uh, you want to be like Jesus more and more every day, right? You want to help other people. You, you want to make a difference with your life. And, and when you think about it, no one is going to say, you know, one of my life's goals it's just to struggle financially always, to live paycheck to paycheck, to retire without any savings. That's what I'm trying to do. No one is going to say, you know, I've been thinking about it, and I hope that I gain five pounds every year for the next 20 years. Because as I get older, I would just like to struggle with my weight and my health. No one is going to say, here's my 10-year goal. I want to become a raging addict. If I can just get addicted to something and get addicted good, and I can wreck my marriage, I can damage my kids, so I can destroy all of my relationships. Nobody says that. You say, oh, you're being kind of dramatic this morning. Okay, let's take it down a notch. No one would say, well, I hope I work for years at a dead-end job and just live a passion-free life. I, I hope I 
I hope I get to the end of my life and all I have to look at is a pile of regrets. Nobody says that, right? But here's what's fascinating to consider. Almost no one destroys their life because of one really stupid decision. Most people ruin their lives one bad decision at a time, right? See, those bad decisions that we make one at a time, they become bad habits, and they eventually take us to places that we never really wanted to go. But it's interesting when you think about it, when you see something like that that has happened in someone else's life, you, you will find yourself often summarizing like this life of, lifetime of bad decisions with just one sentence. You'll, you'll say, well, you know, she, she fell into sin and she cheated on her husband and they, they got divorced. And you talk about like one sin without really thinking about how all kinds of sins led to that place. He always struggled with his weight, and he died at the age of 58. You summarize it with one sentence. Yeah, yeah, you know, he was really irresponsible. And then that one day the company fired him. But you know, right, one bad decision didn't get him fired. It's rarely ever just a one-time deal. And this, this reality also works in a positive direction. You know, we, we talk about overnight successes, but you realize, don't you, that most people almost never are overnight successes. We look at people who built successful careers or have rich relationships or they have this really deep walk with the Lord and we wish we had that. And it just seems to us sometimes like they must be wise or they, they must be more spiritual or maybe, maybe we think they just must be lucky. But the reality is the success that we see now is the result of years and years and years of good decisions. Decisions made one at a time that turn into good habits that they practice for years, even for decades, all before they experience what we see on the outside as overnight success. In other words, so often our successes and our failures come down to our habits. The habits that we practice one day at a time. I'll give you an example. Sometimes in the Bible, we will read these like one-sentence summaries of something that, that, that kind of explains so, so much more than what that sentence is specifically about. And, and Judges 16, verse 1 is a sentence like that. It's about a man named Samson, and maybe you know his life. This sentence encapsulates a whole series of bad decisions that Samson made. And Samson was this guy who got in, had gifted in unbelievable ways, and yet Samson destroyed his life. One step, one bad decision, one habit at a time. And here's Judges 16.1. It says this, One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. So, one sentence that just summarizes what we know as we read the story. is just the beginning of the trajectory down for this gifted man. One day... Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. Now, if you study his story, you'll find out that Samson's hometown was a place named Zorah. Gaza was 25 miles away. Gaza was Philistine headquarters where Samson was public enemy number one. And in order to get to Gaza, that means he had to put his life at risk to go there. Now, I, I was thinking about it and I realized, hey, Samson couldn't have called Uber. So that means he had to walk. And 
he had to walk 25 miles into enemy territory to see a prostitute. Question, how many people walk 25 miles to a place where people want to kill you all just to get a little squeeze? Maybe I shouldn't have said squeeze. <laughs> Maybe I should have said booga booga or hubba hubba. I don't know, but what do you want me to say? But who does that? And the answer is people do it every single day. Every day. I, I looked it up. How many steps do you have to take to go 25 miles? Do you know? Well, the answer is somewhere around 56,250 steps. Now, I would submit to you that Samson didn't ruin his life all at once, but yet he took 56,250 steps in a direction that would begin a lifetime of spiraling downward and out of control. Most of us, we don't wreck our lives all at once. How do we do it? We do it one bad decision, one wrong step, one bad habit, one day, one week, one month, one year at a time, and that's why we're talking about our habits and so what I want to ask you this morning is based on what God has been teaching you and based on what God's spirit is speaking to you, what one habit today do you need to break? Do you know it? Have you thought about it? What one habit in your life is unhealthy, maybe unhelpful, maybe ungodly, and it's taking you in a direction where you do not want to go? James 1.21 says, so get rid of every filthy habit and all wicked conduct. Submit to God and accept the word that he plants in your hearts, which is able to save you. So James says, get rid of them all. He says, you can't do it on your own. Did you see that? He says, you have to submit yourself to God. You have to accept the word he plants in your heart. That word is able to save you. So, so what one habit do you need to get rid of? Do you need to set aside to become the person that God is calling you to become? One of the things we need to do is we need to acknowledge and define these habits you, because you cannot defeat what you cannot define. And, and I just wonder, have you done that in your life? Have you stopped to think about the habits that are taking you down, that are tearing you away from God? Or are you just kind of letting that hang out there somewhere in a vague way that you don't have to think about? You, you need to define it. You need to acknowledge it. And part of what I would say to you today is you need to start with just one. I mean, how many of you think you only have one bad habit? How many of you are sitting next to someone who has way, way more than one bad habit? <laughs> so the deal is, <laughs> the deal is we have more than one thing to work on. So what I'm telling you is you should start with just one. Don't try to break all of your bad habits all at once because probably you'll just give up before you get anywhere. So what's your one? You may have a problem with a bad attitude, a complaining, discontented heart. Maybe for you it's gossip. I mean, what habit do you want to break? It, it could be like an eating issue. Maybe you eat and you vomit. Maybe you eat too much. Maybe you eat not enough. Maybe you eat too much sugar. Maybe you eat too many snacks. It could be a technology addiction like we talked last week. Maybe you're addicted to video games. And you know it was fun at first. It relaxed you some. But now it's taking over your life. And your wife has told you. She has. And I know she has because some of your wives have told me. 
It's ruining your life. A video game. It's out of control. Maybe it's social media. You know, for your view, your life is scroll, click, click, scroll, like, like, scroll, click, like, scroll, on and on and on and on. Maybe it's binge watching too much Netflix or whatever streaming service you use. Maybe it's pornography. And you've tried to quit. You promised you wouldn't do it again, but you keep doing it. Maybe, maybe it's your mobile device. You're always on it. You couldn't even hand it to someone without having a panic attack. you got to have it. you got to look at it. It's part of you. Like we talked last week, you're checking it all the time. You're wasting your life looking at a screen. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe you're addicted to sugar. Maybe to nicotine. Maybe to illegal substances. Maybe to legal prescription medications. I heard someone say one time, if more than one person who loves you tells you you have a problem, you very likely have a problem. Do you have a problem? Do you have a problem? Are you willing to hear the word that's been spoken to you and do something about it? See, what, what habit do you need to break? And now let's talk for a moment why this is difficult, why, why it is so hard for us, because this gives us insight into how to do it if we recognize the difficulty. Have you noticed this? Have you ever noticed how, how it's different? Uh, it, uh, it's different. A, a good habit is difficult to start, and a bad habit is difficult to break. Have you ever noticed that difference? Let me explain it this way. A good habit is challenging or hard at first, but the payoff, the win, is usually down the road somewhere in the future, Right? Like, uh, you just want to start exercising, say running, and so you're going to do that, and you're going to do that in the morning, and, you know, tomorrow morning your alarm goes off, and it's early, <laughs> and it's cold outside, you know, and your body hurts when you go running. I mean, it's just hard to do that, and you can do that and do that, but you don't see any payoff usually for a while. It may take months to realize, you know, you step on the scale and you go, I, I've lost 10 pounds, and wow, I'm sleeping better. I realize that, you know, it's often hard at first, but the payoff is down the road. Or maybe you decide, and some of us need to do this, that you're going to be more faithful with the habit of gathering to worship with God's people like every Sunday. That's hard at first. You have to stop doing some stuff you like doing, and Maybe you need to start serving, and maybe, maybe you do that, but your life doesn't seem that different for a time. But then, like one day, a year from now, you wake up, and you look at yourself, and you think, I had no idea I could ever be this close to God. I, I've never had peace like this in my life before. And I have some amazing friends, and we're doing life together, and God's word is dwelling in me, and I am being conformed to the image of Christ, and I'm using my gifts and my life to make a difference. And it didn't happen in two weeks, and it didn't happen in two months. It takes time. It's hard at first. Payoff is in the future. But bad habits are exactly the opposite. Have you ever noticed this? Like when you do something you're not supposed to do, you get the benefit almost right away. It's a perceived benefit, but you get it right away because it's fun to do what's wrong at first. Sin can be fun. Wouldn't you agree? Some of you are like, uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to say sin is fun. I'm at church. Uh, 
But sin can be fun. And if, if you don't think so, that's just because you haven't done it right. <laughs> See, it can be fun, but then it's not. And then it messes you up. You get the benefit up front, but the negative payoff isn't down until the future, somewhere down the road. For example, like you smoke cigarettes, it feels good, it relaxes you. It's only later, like decades later sometimes, you get the bad news about your lungs. Or you're the customer of the year at Golden Corral. You love the banana pudding with the little wafers in it. It's good. It is. I mean, it's only decades later that you find out you have type 2 diabetes, right? See, now understanding how this works helps us to know how to break a bad habit. So if the bad habit looks appealing up front, what do we do? Well, here's some things to do. Uh, we can make it really hard to do. You can do this. And the reason is, this is so important is that we only have so much willpower. Just like, like your energy depletes as you expend energy, your willpower drops as you use your willpower. And you know this, don't you? Because you fight certain things. You do it for a while, and then you get tired of fighting off, and then you give in. I don't know what it might be for you, but maybe you're trying to eat healthy and clean, and, and maybe there are some bad people at your work who bring donuts to the office. Godless people. <laughs> and the first time you see those donuts, you just walk right on by in the power and strength and victory in the name of the Lord Jesus. You don't want those donuts. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't need those stupid donuts. I don't even like donuts. They don't even look good. Only losers eat donuts. <laughs> the second time you walk by and you look at them and you say, you know, well, I praise God for what I'm not even going to eat right now. Uh, I don't need that. And then the third, third time you walk by, you touch one because you're kind of curious what they feel like. <laughs> and then the fourth time, you smell it because, you know, you need to understand this stuff. And then, and then you decide, I'm going to eat half of one. You ever seen like those pieces of donuts that are left there, you know, by somebody? You eat half of one, and then after that, you wait seven minutes, you eat the other half because, you know, if you... Spread them out seven minutes. It's not a whole donut that way. And then after you've ate the whole donut, you just eat four because what the heck. I mean, you know. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not the only person who has a hard time walking by the donuts, right? So we make it difficult to do. Now listen to what Proverbs 4, 14 and 15 tells us about anything that's tempting or evil it says do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men then he says avoid it do not travel on it turn from it and go on your way now it's sort of like this the the writer is saying I, if you didn't hear me the first time let me say it again four times four different ways you make it difficult to get around that which could harm you make it hard to do difficult to do do you get it remember the habit loop See, research shows us again and again that every bad habit starts with a cue or a trigger, something that says this is what you, you want to do, and that leads to an action. You do the action that's followed by the reward, and you get the hit, the high, the buzz, the, the dopamine, the, the pleasure, whatever it is, and then it goes trigger, action, reward, and you cycle around again and again. So how do we break this habit? Well, we make it difficult to do, and then we, secondly, remove the trigger and we interrupt the action. 
So we need to get to know what is it that triggers us to do this thing, that, that, that is our cue that gets us to go in the wrong direction. So we try to remove that and we try to interrupt the action. So let's talk for a moment about triggers. Now, we can be triggered into a bad habit or unhelpful action by all sorts of different things, but research shows there are five major triggers that generally lead us in the wrong direction. You say, what are they? Well, you could be triggered by a place or by a time, maybe by a certain mood or by a moment or maybe, maybe people. So place, time, mood, moment, people. Let's talk about place and time together. You know this is true, right? There's probably a time, and I mean a place, where you do the wrong bad habit and you consistently do it at a similar place. And you probably don't do that at other places. For example, you probably don't overeat while you're at the gym. Right? It's not usually going to happen. You, you probably don't smoke pot when you come to church. If you do, we need to have a talk. You, you probably don't do those things at those places, but you might smoke pot and overeat at a Super Bowl party with a certain group of friends. It's the place. There's also time. You probably don't ever binge watch pornography at Life Group. When might you do it? Well, maybe late at night when you're mad at your spouse or you're feeling a little bit tired or a little bit bored and... There's just probably a time and a place where you do this. So time and place matter a lot. And so if there's a time, if there's a place that triggers us, we're going to try and we're going to remove the trigger. A good example of this in the Bible is, is King David. He, he made this horrible mistake, and it was really all about wrong time, wrong place. You know, he wasn't an evil man. He genuinely loved God. And yet one day he fell into horrible sin. Wrong place, wrong time. If you don't know the story... Uh, David the king abused his power. He had sex with Bathsheba. He ended up having her husband murdered. And the beginning of the story says it was the springtime. And the author says the springtime when kings went out to war. It was the time for David to be with the army. And yet David stayed back at the palace. He wasn't with his, he wasn't with his troops. And he, when he wasn't where he was supposed to be, he ended up at the wrong time. Going up on the rooftop happened to be the time that Bathsheba was bathing. He lusted, he brought her over, he started checking it out. Wrong place, wrong time. And it led him to see something he shouldn't have seen. And it led him to do something he shouldn't have done. And it ended up costing him far more than he ever wanted to pay. Wrong place, wrong time. And so if there is a consistent wrong place and time for you, you need to figure that out, define it, remove it, take it out of your life. There's also moods, right? Anybody ever have a mood? Sit next to anybody who ever has a mood? Would you like to point them out right now? Are they having a mood right now? Maybe they're having a mood right now. Well, when we're in certain moods, we're more vulnerable. In fact, experts will teach uh, people dealing with habits to halt. H-A-L-T. And so if you see a mood coming on and you know you're vulnerable, you halt. You say, what does halt stand for? It's about when we're vulnerable, and H stands for hungry. So we're vulnerable when we're hungry. Have you ever noticed that? You do stuff sometimes when you're hungry you shouldn't do? A stands for angry. Some of you get the combo meal all the time. You just go straight to hangry, right? You're vulnerable. L stands for lonely. So when you're lonely and sometimes bored, you're vulnerable. T stands for tired. You have less strength when you're tired. And 
So you need to realize there are certain times and places where you're going to be in certain moods and recognize your vulnerability and you do something about it. You remove the trigger, take yourself out of danger. And then there are moments. Sometimes moments happen and we do things in response. Sometimes we do the very thing we didn't want to do. A moment triggers you. Like you get in a fight with your husband and you call the same three girlfriends you always call after fights with your husbands because you guys like to have a husband bashing party and you just do that. That's what you do. Or you go to a game with the guys and you drink too much. You did it last time. You did it the time before that. You're probably going to do it the next time. It's just this moment that triggers you to do something wrong. Or you pass your test in school and so you smoke pot to celebrate. Or you flunk your test in school and so you smoke pot to console yourself. Or you skip your test in school and you stay home and you smoke pot. Either way, you got a pot problem, it looks like. So you look for the moments that trigger you. You distance yourself from them. And then this last one's going to hurt your feelings, but it's important. People, the wrong people can, can trigger you and lead you in the wrong direction, just as the right people can lead you in the right direction. In fact, studies are so conclusive that the closer you are to someone, the more likely you are to have the same habits they do. There was this 32-year study over uh, with 12,000 people that tracked, I mean, this thing about 12,000 people for three decades, all kinds of fascinating insights. Two of them were especially interesting. Uh, one, it, first one was if you have one friend who is significantly overweight, you are 57% more likely to be overweight as hell. Well, just one friend. On the other side, the good news is if you have one friend that loses a significant amount of weight, one of the three closest friends to that friend is probably going to lose a significant amount of weight. In other words, it's just an example of how the people we hang with shape us, our habits. It's kind of interesting. The Bible's been talking about that for thousands of years. The Bible never ne needed any studies to show that. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, we become like the people we run around with. So let me just ask you, when you think about your friends, are your friends, the close friends, helping you become more like Christ or are they pulling you farther away from Christ? It's going to be one or the other. It's almost impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. Now, I'm not saying we, we should not be a light to people that we, we should not engage with people who don't know God. But we do need to be aware, Paul says it very clearly, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. So don't deceive yourself, Paul says, if you're consistently going in the wrong direction and the, the people with you are also going in the wrong direction, maybe we need to redefine our relationships, maybe we need to redefine who we spend time with. So we need to look at the triggers, we need to, to identify the triggers, remove them, and we need to interrupt the actions. How might this play out? I'll just give you a real simple example, you can extrapolate it to other situations. Let's go back to this idea of spending time with God. Let's say this time you want to spend time with God in the morning, and let's say also that you have this issue with the snooze button. Anybody have an issue with the snooze button? Anybody have a habit of hitting the snooze button like for an hour, seven times, you keep hitting the snooze button because you don't get up? And you want to get up, you want to read God's word, you want to spend time with him, 
But by the time you actually get out of bed, it's too late because you've got to go to work. Well, here's a real simple idea. Instead of leaving that clock or leaving your phone, by the way, if you do that, like we talked about last week, you shouldn't do that. Your phone should not be next to your bed. Uh, but if you're still living in rebellion uh, about that, <laughs> maybe what you need to do is take that clock or take that phone and walk it over to the other side of the room and set it and leave it there the night before so that when it goes off in the morning, if you are going to hit the snooze button, you have to get out of your warm, comfortable, snuggly bed and walk across the cold room on the cold floor in your bare feet, hit the snooze button, and then you have to go back all the way and climb into bed. Do you see where I'm going with this? You're like less likely probably to do that if you make it difficult or maybe you have a problem with spending money you shop too much maybe it just kind of happens it comes out of the blue you go on amazon.com and the next thing you know click 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 you spent 243 dollars how did that happen you have a problem maybe for you i don't know Maybe for you, you need to give a good friend of yours your password, and the only way you can get on is you've got to call them. <laughs> I'm serious. If you have a problem, maybe that's what you need to do. You need to take the problem seriously. In other words, but you're, you're making that more difficult to do. Let's say that you continue to look at lustful images, and you can't stop. Well... Maybe what you need to do is make it a lot harder to do. Maybe you need to give to a trusted friend the passcode to your phone, and he's the one or she's the one who, who limits access to any adult content. Maybe they block Safari completely. Maybe you have to get off Instagram completely. You just make it very, very difficult. You, you may not be able to download apps. And if you're smart enough to get around all of these limitations, then maybe you need to go to that dumb phone we talked about last week. Because you've come to believe that your purity matters so much to you that you're not letting images take you out of serving God faithfully, having true intimacy with someone else because you continue to lust after something that's not even real. You remove the trigger... You cut and you break the action. How do you break that bad habit? You make it difficult to do. And then, and this is so important, you create good habits that replace the bad habits. And I don't know if you know this, but this is the way the Bible always teaches us to grow spiritually. The Bible rarely ever says just stop sinning. The Bible almost always says stop sinning and start doing something else. You don't just stop. You stop and you start. And there's a classic example of spiritual growth, how it happens in Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24. Paul writes, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So you stop. And then he says, To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. You start. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So you create new habits that replace the old habits, good habits that replace the bad habits. You know, here's the reality, and I want to be real serious with you right now. Some of you right now are deep into a habit. Maybe you're gambling. Maybe it's some sort of addiction to alcohol or drugs or prescription medicine. 
Maybe it's some sort of sexual addiction. And maybe for you today, and you need to face this, for you it's time for rehab. Something very serious. It's time to own up to what's going on and to say, I will not let this control my life. I'm going to do something significant to stop the direction I'm heading because I don't want to go where this is taking me. Think about it. Think about it. I mean, the habits, the habits you have today shape who you become tomorrow, right? I mean, they're shaping who you will be. Is that good? Do you like the direction your habits are taking you? And if you're not sure, you should just play them forward. Take that bad thing. Take that little secret thing that you don't tell anybody, whatever it is. Play it out five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years. And if you keep going and you don't stop, here's what you're going to say in the future. You will say, one day, I have no idea how much this would cost me. I never knew that I would lose so much and I would give anything if somehow I could go back in time and do something different. I never expected to lose my family. I never expected to lose my house or lose my name and I didn't do it all at once. It was one small bad habit over time. See, based on who you want to become, Based on who Jesus, your Lord, who loves you, who died for you to save you from your sins, who he wants you to become, what habit do you want to break? What habit will you break? Some of you right now are saying, I feel so weak. That's great news. Because when you are weak, then he is strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Friends, listen to me. Your habits do not have to control you. They do not. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God always gives you a way out. He always does. I mean, again, think about Samson. We, we, we said 56,250 steps in the wrong direction, but do you realize it was also 56,250 opportunities to turn around to stop where he was heading and go back where he was coming from. To say, this isn't who I want to become. This isn't the life that I want. God created me for something more. Some of you might be saying, yeah, well, what's the big deal? I'm not going to hit the snooze on my alarm or I'm not going to eat donuts. I mean, some of this stuff is not that big a deal. Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Never underestimate how God can start something special in your life through something small. Do not, do not despise small beginnings because the Lord does what? Say it with me. The Lord rejoices, rejoices 
don't know if you guys know this or not, but Dan and I have two grandkids. Um, Their names are Charlie and Lily, in case you were wondering. Um, and uh, just yesterday, uh, my daughter Abby in St. Louis called me, uh, FaceTimed me, so I could see Charlie. And Charlie's 11 months old now, going to be a year real soon. He's an extremely intelligent, brilliant child. Um, <laughs> and while we were FaceTiming, he pulled himself up to a standing position, and I cheered right? At one point, he said something vaguely resembling a word, and I said, Charlie, that was so great. Say it again. Do it again. And then he waved goodbye at me when it was time to end the call, and I was so excited about that. I rejoiced. I rejoiced. Don't you know your heavenly Father rejoices over you every single time you obey him, every single time you take a step to follow him, every time you are faithful, even in a small thing, God says, way to go. You're on the right track. You stop going in the wrong direction. You're following me. You're being conformed into the image of my son, Jesus Christ. You're doing my will. See, whenever we break those bad, sinful habits and replace them with good, righteous habits, we are becoming more like Jesus Christ. We're honoring God. We're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And we may not see it at first, but day after day, God is changing us. And one day, one day you wake up and you realize because Jesus dwells within me, Christ in me is stronger than those wrong desires in me. I am growing in discipline. I am growing in joy. God is working in my life. I am overcoming my bad habits by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. I'm not who I was. I used to be there, but God saw that I was being faithful in some small things and he has trusted me with more and he has brought me to where I am right now. So who, friend, who today, listen to me, who do you want to become? I hope the first answer that comes into your mind is, I want to become more like Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Part of what that means is breaking bad habits. What bad habit are you going to break? And as you start down that road, let me leave you with Galatians that says, do not be weary in doing good. Do not be weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not